Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Yay. Hey, it's good to be here. Wow, a bunch of you showed up. Look at all of you out there. A lot of folks. Amen. Well, listen, there's some things stirring in my heart. There always is. Uh, But during worship, in the beginning, I'm just going to go with this because this is where my heart was during worship. I want you to think with me on this. And then we'll just see where God goes. But we were singing about He has proven His great love. We're so quick sometimes to get theological. There's big Christian debates all over the earth. Some people sit at a table and just hash out Scripture and literally argue over Scripture. It's like so tragic. You know, what are we gonna, what are we gonna gain by that? Being right, maybe. I don't know. You know, being right doesn't make it right if your heart's wrong. It doesn't even matter if you're right. It's like, what are we doing? But uh, I was, we were singing, he's proven his great love, and I thought, you know, we, get, we can get, we can get, this isn't a correction, I'm not saying this is in the house, but it, it, you can get theological, you can get Christmas story, Easter story mentality, where Jesus is the baby in the manger. You know, pretty soon we'll be remembering him as the, the crucified Son of God. But when, when we're singing, he's proven his great love, I'm thinking, you know, he sent his son, guys. I'm not a deep guy. If you don't know me and you came for an incredible sermon, you might be disappointed. I'm I'm not a real deep guy, okay? I'm pretty childlike. And and, yeah, I'm real simple. If this thing was complicated, I wouldn't get it. I'd still be in bondage. Uh, This thing is simple. Look, look, we're made in His image. Read your Bible. Let us make man in our image. You and I didn't get born into His image. We got born into Adam. Just to bring you up to speed to where I'm coming from, we were born into Adam. Romans 5 teaches that. One man was disobedient and all became disobedient. We were born into Adam. The image of God was lost when he sinned. What's flesh is flesh. We were all born into Adam and we all needed born. That's a far cry from a prayer to go to heaven. That's what, that's what the church has made born again, a prayer to go to heaven. It's a transformed life. It's old things passing away, all things becoming new. Okay? So the born-again life isn't just a promise for blessings and favor and God making sure your family works well. The born-again life is the promise of a transformed life if you'll yield to truth with a humble heart. And all of a sudden, His image can be restored in our life. We can put away the old and put on the new. Colossians says the new man's renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So the gospel's all a restoration back to his image. That's why Jesus died on the cross. You were probably taught as a kid in Sunday school, I know I was my whole life, that he died on the cross because I was a sinner. Well, he had to die because we sinned. So it cost him his life to pay the price for sin, to get sin off of us. But he didn't die because we're a sinner. He died because we have destiny. He died because we're lost sons and daughters. He died to get our destiny back, our potential back. See, nobody ever told me that growing up, so I was just always conscious of sin. And when I was 20, I was done going to church because I was a guilty guy. I mean, I, I, this poor guy, Jesus, died on the cross, and I can't get it right. Did anybody ever really sincerely feel that way? 
And then you, then you can't get it right, so then you wonder why He would love you. And because we relate to sin so much in humanity and worm in the dirt mentality that most of us when we were young growing up weren't told that, man, you have a whole greater value than the sin you committed, man. You have potential. Like God knows what you look like when He lives inside of you. So God paid the price for the redemption of your life, not just the forgiveness of your sins. It's you repenting. That means you thinking different so you can get on page and grace can begin to work through you. You guys follow me? We've turned church, if we're not careful, growing up, I know we had services like this and we'd all gather together and a guest speaker would come to town and we'd be like, I wonder what God's going to do. And, you know, we'd need, needs would come in the room and people would grab the sick and stuff. And, and God's amazing. He does so much. I've been seeing Him do a lot of cool stuff. And He'll do cool stuff tonight in that way. He really will because we'll pray for folks. But, but, but here's what we've gotten in the groove of doing over the years, just coming to church to see what God might do and what He might do for us. And honestly, the whole reason you gather is for Him to make you more like Him. The Gospel isn't about Him blessing you, it's about Him transforming you. Now, I'm talking real plain, and i said that about three times now. I want everybody in this room to understand the reason Jesus shed His blood was to get His Spirit and His life back inside of you. You're not praying a prayer to go to heaven. Heaven's coming into you. Until you were born again, you had no life inside of you. Yeah, you were technically alive, scientifically alive. I'm talking about where, where, where life's concerned, life in God, the sozo of God. You follow me? So eternal life starts the day you get born again because before that you had no life. So He breathes life back inside of you. Where did that life come from? It came from Him. The day you eat the trees, the day you surely... But Adam was still living, it seemed, but the image was lost. So he went back to just a shadow of what he was created to be. He was just a dim... In fact, he didn't even look like what he was created to be. I can't even say a shadow. I just want people to relate. The day you eat the tree is the day you surely die. Death, something died. Death came to something. What happened? Who he was made to be in God's image died, but God never lost sight of that truth. So he's proven his great love. I'm standing there and we're singing this and I'm thinking, man, you've got nothing to prove. We've just got to get this and understanding and all we're getting, get understanding. Did you ever say this? Did you ever say, God, if you love me, then how come this? Or God, if you love me, why this? Did you ever get questions in your life about your life and then question God's love? See, the measuring stick, and that's become a natural mindset for people. The measuring stick of God's love is never circumstances. It's already proven. The I love you from God came when Christ was crucified. We're still waiting for God to prove His love because we think it's about what He can do for us. We're still testing God's heart, testing God's love, and it's the fall of man that gives us permission to do that. It's the way man thinks because man thinks for himself. So we're like challenging God without even realizing what we're doing. It's not an evil heart even. It's not even intended sometimes. We're like, well, God... I thought you loved me. Why isn't the car running better than this? And like, we're really upset. And why did I just get laid off? And it both happened in the same week, the car and layoff. God, this is tragic. I thought you loved me. 
But see, there's a way that seems right. It seems right. But when you look at what it produces, it doesn't produce life. It's destruction. It's death. Because it's a self-centered, self-serving journey. And now you have even odds with God. Now you don't even see Him clear. He's in question. It's so imperative that you settle on the love of God and that you understand He is so for you, it's ridiculous. Here's this thing about... This is what went through me on worship. I'm standing there and we're singing He's proven His great love. And I'm thinking, Christ... Jesus, the Lord, came. He was God and He came. If this gospel's true, let me play with this a little. If the gospel's true, if Jesus really was born of a woman and really was the Son of God, Son of Man, and died on a cross like the Bible says, that's ridiculous. God of the universe sees such a value in the redemption of man that he would go in the womb of a woman. There's a woman sitting real near me here. She's pregnant. That's what Jesus did. Jesus, Son of God, went in a woman, crock-potted there for nine months. (laughs) Went through everything you and I did. So that he could be the captain of our salvation, the perfect sacrifice, and fulfill what man felled and defeat the devil through the flesh by the Spirit. So God defeated the devil through a man. And fulfilled what man failed. He's the second Adam or the last Adam. You get it? He must really value humanity. Come on, think with me. Don't let this just be an Easter. He doesn't want you to see a suffering Savior. He wants you to see sin cursed in the flesh and sin having no dominion over you. He wants you to see that something died so something could live. He became what we were, what we related to, what we were born into in Adam. He became that on the cross. That was crucified so what we really were could live. Matthew 18 says he came to seek that which was lost, or save, I mean, that which was lost. Save, to sozo that which was lost. What was lost? Your identity, your destiny, your heritage in the Lord. But yet with God it was never lost. On your darkest day, he knew who you were. On your most rebellious venture, he knew your destiny. He knew your potential. Come on, the love of God is ridiculous. We judge men based on their actions. He judges men based on their created value. We judge men based on their words. He judges men based on His. Come on. It's powerful. We read a book by its cover and then we don't want to look at the inner chapters. He digs a little deeper because he knows there's something there of value. He says, don't you judge outwardly. You judge with righteous appearance. Or judge righteous judgment. Not outward appearance, but righteous judgment. The Apostle Paul said, the love of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5. The love of Christ compels me. That's like motivates, moves me forward. The love of Christ compels me. It's like the fuel in your tank. What compels me is the love of Christ. Why? Because he judges something. If one died, then all died. When he died, we died. 
Do you get it? He paid the price for all. When He died, we died. What's that mean? He was made to be sin. We were ruled by sin. The price was paid. When He died, we died. Now a man still has to repent. A man still has to come to an understanding of grace and righteousness and turn from one thing to turn to another. There's a preaching of grace out there that doesn't attach transformation to the grace and that's perversion. We confuse mercy and grace. Mercy gives you an opportunity when you deserve none and have none. But grace empowers you to change. Grace is the transformation of God. There's a lot of grace out there right now that just feels fuzzy and has nothing to do with transformation. God doesn't give grace without transformation. That's what it's for. Grace is like the workmanship of God. It's the etching tool of God. You believe what's possible. You believe what He says about you. You believe how He sees you. You believe what Christ accomplished. And in the secret place, you express that to Him. Grace comes and makes those things your reality and the lights come on. And all of a sudden, you're not trying to do better and trying to be okay and trying to have a good day. You're absolutely free because you realize He's your Father and you're His child and He's inside of you. And all of a sudden you aren't a person overloaded with issues praying to God about all your issues. You're overwhelmed with Him and you see things different. And all of a sudden people don't have the right to rule you and define you and decide who you are. happens to good Christian folks. They have three reasons why they're not where they should be. But it's funny when you look at their list, none of those things are Lord. Well, I'd be if it wasn't for... Well, I, yeah, yeah, ah. It's the way that seems right. It seems right. But when you look at what it produces, you know it can't be right. Because it actually gives you permission to remain the same. It justifies your position and you're already acknowledging you're not where you should be. That's already low levels of condemnation. You're already aware that you're back here and you could be there. I've heard people say this. Well, I know I'm not where I should be, but it's because... And they got three things and they rip it off like their story. And you're guaranteeing tomorrow is yesterday. And none of these things are anything in the light of truth. Why would I allow you to decide me now that He has shown me real clear who I really am? See, because here's why. Because we were born into Adam and we all need one another to love us to find our value. And I find my value in Him. Now I get restored back to love so I can see you clear. And now instead of need you, I'm empowered to love you. Now you can't break my heart. You can just make a drawl on my heart. Did you get it? So my days of hurt are over. My days of disappointment, finished. You're in denial. No, I'm in Him. Look, you can make any excuse you want to live apart from what I'm saying, but Jesus lived this way. And He didn't say, sing to me and pray to me. He said, follow me. (laughs) So I think I'm going (laughs) to... Yeah, but they hurt me. Only because you're able to be hurt. It's because of how you see. You're still expecting from people. And you have failed expectations and that becomes one of the things on your list. 
Now you struggle to even come to church because Christians are this, this, and this. That's why you ought to go all the more. If they're that messed up, go love, go deliver, go help, go send a good example and shine. See, we've, we've, we've been trained by the fall of man to think for ourselves. Jesus came thinking for us in the kingdom and said, follow me. Come on, He changes everything. Look, you can't be hurt if you're not thinking for yourself. If you're thinking for the kingdom and others, you'll lay down your life for another. If you're thinking for yourself, somebody's going to let you down. See, I, I, I say I'm getting to know Roy and, and I have a friendship and he said that too. But if, if I put expectations, if I needed something from Roy, or if I just needed Roy to need me, and I was feeding off of that and getting something out of that, well then if he didn't seem like he needed me, then I feel insufficient or insignificant. And all of a sudden I have to try to find something of value here to where he needs me. I could make things weird. You follow me? So if I put an expectation on Roy, now he's supposed to live in the sight of God. He's supposed to live trustworthy. In the sight of God, he's to live honorable. He's to live of high character and integrity where his relationship with God, with a clear conscience before him, unveiled face. True? But if I put that on Roy and I need that from Roy for my sake, I'm setting Roy up to disappoint, to fail, and for me to only see him for what he didn't fulfill. And then when I hear his name, no matter how gifted, how anointed, how much progress he's making in God and the kingdom, all I can think about is how he hurt me or didn't fulfill my expectations. Do you see how narrowly deceived that is where it's just all about you and we sing it's all about him? And then we try to bring God through the eye of the needle of our life and get him to move on our behalf. No, no. You bring your life through the eye and needle of God so you can get a real good, clear look at what your life really is looking like. Because you don't have as many problems as you think. I'm serious. The biggest concern I have for the body of Christ is we don't understand that we're Christians to become love. And love takes no account of a suffer wrong because it doesn't seek its own. Love never fails. And I'm telling you, it's the most powerful force of intercession on the planet is love. Because every time you pray from the place of love, your motive is crystal clear and your prayer goes straight to heaven. It ain't because you're hurt. It ain't because you're frustrated. And it isn't, where have you been, God? Are you following me? I'm telling you, love is amazing. Because then when you pray, it's all about the sake of His name and the people you're believing for. Even if they did something absolutely horrendous. It's kind of like this friend that I have that just met me in a place and I was preaching and he was talking about it not being his life and this and that. And a week later, he was crying and he said, man, he said, I, I finally got my son back for two years. He's on fire. It's so amazing. God has redeemed my whole family, my whole life. And he was crying and he was just thanking for the gospel and the message. He said, I get it, man. This life is a gift. And He's going on. He said, we got this one little window. And he's saying all this stuff that he, he's fed into his heart that he's heard me preach over the years. And a week later, he went back home and he was driving with his boy to pick up some pizzas. And a 51-year-old man come across the lane drunk and hit him head on and killed his son on impact. 
Killed him on impact. Took an hour and a half to get his boy out of the car. Almost killed him. Put him in the hospital. Busted his ribs. Bleeding inside. Uh, I got through on a phone call in the hospital room while they were wheeling him into surgery. Got to pray over him on speakerphone. And later he called me and said, were you praying over me in the hospital? Were you? I said, well, yeah, just over the speakerphone. It was just good timing. And, and, and we were talking. And Here's the story. He's out of the hospital now. He's healing really fast. But his boy's gone. Ain't no way around that. All he can do is rejoice. Because he knows if it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, he's lost. He treasures the time he had. He's excited about the little window of legacy he saw. He the transformation that as a father he has this joy of knowing his son was so right with God. You could ask a million questions about that in a cynical way, a confused way, a puzzled way, but if you look at the fruit those questions produce, probably not cool to even ask them. Here's the story. The 51-year-old guy that hit him that was drunk lost a 14-year-old daughter to drunk driving and never overcame a broken, hurting heart and began to drink himself. A drunk driver killed his daughter. And he couldn't recover. He didn't have the gospel in a clear way, probably. And he just became another hurting heart on the earth. You know, there's a lot of folks that go to church with crushed hearts like that. He began to drink, and guess what happened? He did to somebody else's kid the same thing that happened to his that hardened and hurt his heart. He became the very thing he got hard toward. Isn't that amazing? So guess what this guy is going to do? Because that's vehicular manslaughter. That's jail. That's not good. He's going to love him and weep and tell him he forgives him and that he's got his heart so hurt when he lost his girl that he didn't know how to handle that and he became the same thing. But there's no way this friend of mine's heart's going to get hurt and he's, this thing's got to stop somewhere. Come on, man. And he's going to minister the love of God to him the man that killed his son with a car. That sure beats just picketing and fundraising and bashing drunk drivers. People are devastated. They have no answer. Without Jesus, I'm not making excuses for people. The flesh is capable of anything without Jesus. You'd be real careful boasting in your flesh without Jesus. Because what you judge, you will become. The Bible teaches that. So he's going to minister grace to this man. See, that's the gospel that we preach. Does he miss his boy? Yeah, I just talked to him on the phone the other day. He said, man, it's real. He said, my boy ain't here. I can't hug him. I can't talk to him. But he said, I don't even have to try to be okay. He said, I'm okay because of what I believe. And making peace with that man is the biggest deal of all. I don't know about you, but that's the gospel I want to keep on preaching. Because that's the one that's going to make peace and cause everybody's heart to get healed. Because watch this. If the gospel's really true and his boy's with Jesus forever and, and what he's missing is this little window of natural life that we so cleave to. We so covet. We, we, we forget that we're on the earth now for then. Like you're leaving a legacy now that'll speak forever. Like, like today's the only day that's going to be today. Be, be real with me. 
You'll never have the opportunity tomorrow that you had today to walk in love, make peace, show mercy, and shine light. Now, you can have issues and questions and concerns and natural knowledge and issues, and he said, she said, that's your privilege. But you'll never again have today to live your potential in him. But every day you live that way is taking you to that day that will speak forever on behalf of the king. And your testimony and your legacy will be that in the face of it all, I believed. Did you get it? In the face of it all, I believed. I can hardly say without tears, I don't feel that emotion now so I can get away with it. I'm thinking, it's trying to get me already. I just want to be remembered in heaven as one thing, a believer. Because if I'm known and go down in all time in history as a believer, then everything else is in place. And I just have good news for you. It's a little challenging, a little convicting, but your life lived reveals what you believe, not the song you sing. I'm not saying that mean. The reality is your life lived is what you really believe. What you really believe is what you live. You guys follow me? Come on, it's a big deal. If Jesus saw fit, and He's really real, if Jesus really came, which I believe He did, you see, how do you know? I'm, I'm past trying to believe that. Okay. <laughs> like, a fellow like me will just make you mad if you're in unbelief, because you, you ask cynical questions, and I've been with Him. I've heard His voice. I've just, I mean, I could tell you hundreds of things. This airplane flying, waking up in the morning, room, hug, talk, speak, presence. Like, duh, He's real. Okay? And then somebody says, well, how do you know He's real? Duh, you are like so way late. Just, I'm going to make you mad trying to even talk to me about that stuff. <laughs> like, like, I'm just so far past that debate, Okay? Like, any man that comes to God must first believe that he is. So, okay, we've got that settled. He just happens to be. Okay? So he is. And guess how I got that revelation? Being alone with him when you weren't looking. I'm not, as much as I value gathering like this, coming to church isn't what gives you that revelation. Coming to church can point you in the direction of that revelation. But what you do in the secret with Him reveals what you see in that place and it becomes yours. If you do things that everybody's doing to be seen and out in the open, or if you just sing when everybody's singing and you never just pull apart and sing from your heart to Him, you'll probably have your reward in already full over here. But man, if you would ever just step out of yourself and nobody looking, because you're either one of two things. You're absolutely out of your mind and wasting your time. Or you're on to something. It's one or the other. I love those odds. You're either whacked and need to get a life. Or he's there and he's real. And faith says he's there and he's real. And when we understand, and I'll talk a little about it to get that veil off, because some people... Some people get real uncomfortable when they're alone because they see their value based on what they've done, what they haven't done. They walk in levels of condemnation. They have a veil over their face. And even though to him, you're a beautiful bride, you don't even think 
a lot of people don't get alone with him because they get so self-conscious and so aware of what's wrong with them. They get condemnation. They got to take 20 minutes to try to get past themselves just to look up. So we put ourselves in Bible studies and sing songs and Christian t-shirt, ringtone, screensaver, <laughs> bumper sticker. But don't do real well meeting with him. And all of a sudden we let all those things define us as Christians and it takes the place of knowing him. Amen. Nothing compares to your ability to be with him. Pray for the sick, man. I, I, I encourage you and they get healed. That's awesome, right? That doesn't even compare to your ability to be with him. Nothing compares to your ability to be with him. Now, he's paid the price for that. You said it earlier. He welcomes you into that place. He welcomes you. Something happens when you go into the bathroom and you're going to brush your teeth and you push the door shut and you just stop in stride. I just honor you and worship you and thank you for your great love. God, the way you see me is life-changing and I appreciate the value that you see me through. God, you made me for a reason. And all of a sudden, you're exchanging. Next thing you know, you might even sing out of your heart. You're still singing in the car and you didn't even turn on the little tune because you're just too busy. That's when it gets really good. And that way, everybody's not just singing for you. You're not just getting entertained. It's not just, wow, that's awesome worship. No, wow, that's awesome worship. You get it? This is where our lives change, guys. Man, keep gathering to stir one another in love and good works, but you'll never get to know Him unless you meet with Him. And knowing Him is what it's all about. Jesus said, this is eternal life. That you might know Him. He doesn't say talk about Him, preach about Him. Quote His Word. Know Him. Look up the word know. It's a very intimate word. Eternal life is knowing Him. You get it? So when you wake up in the morning, you just know He's your Father and you're not just trying to be a good Christian today. Who's ever tried to get up and just live right? <laughs> that gets a little... Ah, that's just a little scary, doesn't it? <laughs> you become your own judge. You become your own skeptic. You become your own critic. You become your own whatever. Honestly, you get up and try to live right, you'll be your own detriment. You say, what are you preaching? That's blasphemy. We should all try to live right. And I understand what you're trying to say, but that is not how you're going to have a change of life. Getting up trying not to sin is not going to make you free. Getting up understanding you've been made righteous. Pastor talked about it. He said, you handcrafted something for me and made it. Took off that fig leaf and made it and it fits like skin. Made just for me. I like that. I like him. That's just into That's awesome. So you're alone with God. You say, you went into the bathroom? Yeah. Isn't it awesome you're not in there like this in the shower? You just saw Jesus. <laughs> I know I'm stretching some of you now. I just... But serious, righteousness. You're clothed in righteousness. Serious. 
Some of us ain't as free as we think. We get self-conscious even around Him, really self-conscious. That's why people don't get alone with Him. That's why you just call for counsel and prayer and try to touch people this way. I'm, I'm on to something now. I, I feel this in my heart. There's a whole handful of folks in this room. You've been struggling just to get alone with Him, to meet with Him. You get self-conscious if you're all alone. And God doesn't want you that way. If He saw what you're seeing that's keeping you uncomfortable, He wouldn't have sent His Son if that's the truth about you. He'd sit down and call a meeting to see if there's any hope for change, and then He'd send His Son. While you were yet a sinner, He sent His Son. Price is already paid. This self-conscious thing is a problem in the church. Watch this. If you were as bad as you're tempted to think, you wouldn't care so much. You wouldn't even want to get alone with Him if you were so lost or bad or out of bounds. The people that are wanting to get close to Him that are feeling self-conscious and pulling back are struggling in that place. Why? Because the Gospel's touched you in a way that your heart cares now. You're alive inside. There's purity there. And you're being scammed and deceived, putting a veil over, and you need to pull that thing back. And you need to say, you know what? I'm not making excuses for my life, and I know there's some things that need to shape up, but it'll never change by me trying to produce good fruit. It's going to change by me seeing I'm a good tree, that you've made me with the potential of amazing things. God, I'm stepping into you. And I'm dare believing you love me. And I'm believing you forgive me. And I'm believing the blood is speaking better things than the blood of Abel and what it cried out towards Cain. I'm believing you have washed me and you have made me a son. And I thank you for loving me. You've got to start where he finished if you're going to run well. You just trying to change yourself is an absolute zero. You would be so self-conscious and so feeling like you failed. You will grow weary in well-doing. Because if you can just pull that off in your own strength, he's a fool to die and you'll need a trophy someday. And you'll just be super Christian. It's not flesh and blood that inherits that righteous thing. It's living by the Spirit. You can't earn his righteousness. You receive it and you realize, wow, him in me changes everything. You get it? So being alone with Him is a big deal. I keep hearing it in my heart. I don't know what you came here for tonight, but I came to say, I kneel and I want to say what you say. And I'm on to something right now. I heard it in my heart. It was amazing how I saw it. I saw a whole lot of folks in this room that feel self-conscious if they were all alone to pursue Him. Now watch the paradox. If you don't grow in this intimate place, this is where the veil gets removed. This is where clarity comes on your identity and who you know you are. If not, if you'd be amazed if I'd say, how many, how many of you, be, and, I, and I don't raise your hand, this isn't a question. Now, you'd be amazed if we were honest. How many of you are living with secrets? How many of you guys are living with things that others don't know about? And there's things that violate you, but you still, and it's just, you'd be amazed how many hands would come up in this room. I'm not being mean. I can tell in my heart a lot of hands would pop up. Okay? Watch this. Four hands is too many. So when I say a lot, don't try to read how many I'm... 
Why is it too many? Because if that's the truth, your conscience is already violated and you already have a lesser impression of yourself and opinion of yourself than he saw that was fit, sending, worth sending his son. The impression he has of you is worth sending his son. The impression you have is worth being in secret. Do you see how contrast that is? You will never draw near to him unless you face that in him. I hope I'm making sense. What I feel like the Lord wants tonight is to call people, not up here, I I don't do that stuff in a setting like this, to call people into His presence no matter how you feel, where you've been, and what you've done, not to give permission to that thing, to finally see it crushed. Because until you go to Him, there's no hope for that changing. If you make a tree good, the fruit's what? As long as you keep judging the tree based on the fruit, the tree will never be good. You have to judge the tree based on His mercy, His grace, the finished work of Christ, and you have to accept what He accomplished and see yourself that way and fit to receive that before the fruit can even begin to change. Jesus said, you know a tree by its fruit. And we go, oh God. And we're introspecting our lives as soon as we hear that. He says, a good tree can't bear bad fruit. And we go, oh, and we think of two, one, two, three bad things possibly in our life. And we judge the tree and say, well, this tree ain't no good. He's not even talking about what we're hearing. He says, a good tree can't bear bad fruit. A bad tree can't bear good fruit. Therefore, you know a tree by its... The topic of the sentence every time and the whole topic of the conversation is the tree. We hear fruit. And we're busy fruit inspecting. Until some of us are done, the tree doesn't even have any hope. Serious? Look, it just, takes, it just takes one little thing in your life, one little thing that your conscience is aware of, that you haven't answered for, for repented for, talked to anybody about, asked for prayer about. Just one little thing to gray you out like I'm talking. That'll keep you from going to Him. And you'll just hide behind a language and you'll put yourself in an arena, an atmosphere, a setting without really being with Him. No, that seems to matter real big in my heart tonight. Don't you do that. That's called going to church. There's just a handful of folks that I believe God's calling into His presence that He wants you to take the veil off. And say, you know what, God, I want to get real with you. This thing violates me. And your love is my only hope and only chance for freedom and change. And it ain't nobody's fault. And you're about pointing a finger. And he said, she said, and I wouldn't be this way if it wasn't for. I'm throwing all that away because that's just going to empower the thing all the more. I'm going to throw it all away. This is not who I am. This is not who I'm created to be. My heart's been crying out. It's been a long time since I've met you this way. And you go get in a room and talk to him like that. Tears will well up. Emotions will... God's presence. I'm telling you, it'd be a good time for some folks in this room. I'm telling you. He's been longing for you in that place. I'm telling you, we'd fail to do that. And then instead of living out of your heart, you're just bound to live out of your head. And your emotions, your attitudes, your opinions, they just rule. They become Lord and you don't even know what's happening. And now you're just no bigger on the inside than what's going through your mind. Look, it's all by grace. Think, think of this. If Jesus really came through the womb of a woman and He's God, 
and he came in the flesh and did what he did and got beat to a pulp and hung on that cross. I could stand here and it would be frivolous. It would be condemnation and say, what are we thinking, guys? You need to give him everything. He did all that. You need to shape up. You need to get this out of your life. If you really care about him, if you really love him. See, that's how preachers will preach like that. There's no grace in that. That's just you trying to respond without that revelation, without that heart, without that relationship. That's just you paying him back for what he did. And you'll always feel like you're failing. Some of the purest people I've ever met that really sincerely love Jesus in their heart feel like they're not living up to their love for Him. And they live in secret condemnation and they're at all kind of functions and do all kind of things. And if you get them alone and talk to them on this level, they will lose it and cry. I've seen it hundreds of times in 18 years. Some of the purest people that I've met, especially ladies, I don't know why it happens to ladies, they... They just feel like they have such a love for Jesus so they feel like they owe Him so much and they feel like they're not fulfilling and living up to that desire. And then they feel cut off. They feel like they're failing. And yet He's been so good and that thing constantly condemns them. Am I making sense to anybody? God wants you in the secret place. He wants you in communion, co-union with Him. Seriously, apart from any other believer... Look, together we make up the whole of who He is, but there's a place for you in Him. There's just a place for you in Him. That's what I was, man, that's what I was nursed on and that's what I was raised in. Holy Spirit took me right in the room just to be with Him. And that's just from the beginning of being saved when I was 33, that's all I've known. Just being with Him. And I've learned to know that He loves me. Like He really loves me. Serious. He sees me through the finished work of Jesus. When I receive that, it puts such integrity in me. It builds honor in me. It actually puts discipline in me to where I don't even have impulses and things that I had before I had this revelation. Those things died in the revelation. So I'm not walking around trying not to... Come on! I'm just changed. And here's what we so relate to our ability to fail that we think we're failures. And we have a hard time even listening to preaching like this. A lot of circles think it's blasphemy because we've just settled for sin and we're just always going to fail. We're always sinners. Let's just settle it. At least He loves us and died for us. But then you keep love a mystery and you don't even know why He would love you because you're such a failure. Why would He love Now love can't even be relatable because it's a mystery now because you're weighing your value based on your life and wondering why He would give His for yours. And all of a sudden, love is impersonal now. You can't even relate to it. Are you guys following me? The love of God was never designed to be a mystery. And, and I'm, I guarantee you, okay, now I'm going to get real with this and I need your humility. Who in this room has struggled in the past and maybe not necessarily up to this day, but definitely in the past and maybe up to this day with the question in your own heart, why or how He could love you as much as is preached? Who struggled with that question? Be honest. Be honest. That's a lot of hands, right? That's not an indictment. That's not a bad thing. It's not shame on you. What I'm saying is this is a real topic. This is a valid thing. It's the way the mind tries to work because you're assessing your value based on the life you've lived and your value comes from the life He lived and gave. And if you start where He finished, you'll start to run well. So you have to start reckoning yourself dead to sin, not come to God as a failure. 
You can't come to God and vow to stop doing this thing because you'll, you'll, you'll still be fighting that thing. No, you have to come to God and say, thank you for the light of my life. I'm realizing that is so not who I am. It's not acceptable. It's not my creative value. Yet that thing has grabbed my heart. It has tried to own me. And it seems like it's mastered me more than I'd care to remember. But the truth is, my life has way greater value than that repetitive thing. And you proved it by dying on the cross. There's more to me than what I've realized. And I'm stepping into you and thanking you that you're going to begin to strengthen me. Show me wisdom and understanding. God, I yield myself to you and thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ. See, we're not taught to get into that place of relationship and communion in the face of it all. That's where that stuff breaks and gets destroyed and comes off of you by grace. And all of a sudden, you're actually believing it's possible to be right in the sight of God. When religion and legalism says, you ain't right, buddy, you need some change. Well, that's why you're here, because you know you need change. But if you could change on your own, then forget grace. And the gospel's no big deal. And we just got a bunch of winners and losers, I guess. I don't know. High places and low places. No, they were brought down and lifted up, remember? Every mountain, every valley, we're on the same playing field. It's grace through faith. It's righteousness producing its fruit to holiness. Not your discipline and your goodwill. And desire. Or we got some great Christians and terrible Christians. Or we got some real and some hypocrite. I don't think, I don't think there's as many hypocrite Christians as you think that go to church regular. I think they're struggling with an identity crisis and don't understand the love of God that will set them free. They don't understand the mercy of God and the grace of God and how it works together as a team to bring you to a greater place than you've ever walked in your life. Christianity flows out of your being, guys. I don't want one striver or one person in here working so hard. I don't know when I've ever worked at all to be a Christian. You say, Christianity, Christian life is tough. You, you have a totally warped view of Christianity. Christianity is this simple. It's Jesus paying the price, putting on Him what I was so I can take on what He is. So He exchanged for me, died, rose again for my justification so I can stand before God just as if I never sinned. Now, all I have to do is sincerely care about that, care about the conduct of my life in a way that I just want to serve Him, serve this gospel from the place of sonship and let my life do justice to the good news. And I'm in prayer talking to Him like that and grace is empowering me to be the very thing my heart desires. And all of a sudden, I didn't bite my lip and try not to sin. Are you following me? This is so amazing. It keeps joy in you. That relationship is so your joy can be full. It's in 1 John. He said, I write these things to you so your joy is full. We're trying to find joy through stuff, people, events. And our joy seems to be like this. No, it's the good tidings that's great joy. It's good tidings of great joy. When you see it, it freaks you out. It's good tidings joy. Do you get it? Come on. So if we look at the average countenance and the steadfastness of people's lives, we realize there's something about the good tidings we're not quite getting. Because the good tidings is great joy. Yeah, but brother. Yeah, but aunt. No. 
That's the deception. The yeah, but is the lie. Faith says yes to the good news. Faith says, no, this is my starting point. This is where I start. This is where I finish. He authored. He finishes. It all begins with Him. It's all through Him. And it's all ends with Him. And the yell butts are lies. Yeah, but brother, you don't know what I'm going through. What did He go through to give you a whole different identity in the face of what you're going through so you see it different? But if you're just thinking about what you're going through, you're missing why He's in you. Did you get that? Okay. There's a couple of folks in here my heart's crying out for. I don't know who you are. If I'm eyeballing, you don't think I'm thinking it's you. I don't know. I don't want to know. I know when I'm talking to folks, and it's rare that I was this aware of talking to a handful of folks. God would talk to three, four, five, seven of you and just keep the others sharp in the truth just to reach a few hearts tonight. If, if we just gathered tonight for a couple people to get a veil off and step into Him like never before and, and just just receive and believe that their life is worth living, that's a big deal. I watched you, Miss Hannah, up there sing. I was so glad to see you up there. It was just fun to watch you sing. First time I came here, I just saw redemption working in her life. And I remember praying with you. And Jesus is good, huh? So he takes your life and makes your life what it was created to be in the first place, apart from any lies, any wrong decisions. And all of a sudden, you would look at a person and not even know they ever made a bad decision. And you just look up there and you think, man, that girl just grew up loving Jesus. Well, no, He's love and love never fails. So no matter where we've been, what we've been through, no matter what, He has never changed His mind about a person's identity or destiny. So it just blessed me to watch you sing up there and took a lead on that one song and let her fly. I liked it. (laughs) I did. I enjoy every bit of it, man. I don't miss much. I treasure the gospel. I treasure what He does through the gospel for His people. And if we miss the point, man, we're sadly deceived. Man, to, to, you'd be amazed if I, if I asked the question, how many people have reserved the right to be mad at God and have been mad at God even in recent weeks? You'd be amazed the number of hands that would pop up in this room. I know it in my heart. This total deception. It shows that we don't even understand our relationship with God. We're just challenging God. And we think that He's here for our sake. We're here for His name's sake. We're here to let the light so shine before men and we're still wondering why He didn't answer our prayer. Well, that's probably why because it seems to be all about you. Like if your relationship is contingent on how your prayers got answered, you don't even have a relationship. You have a busboy. And the fall of man has allowed you and privileged you to even dare think through that mindset. He is the living God. He is almighty God and he is the father. You get it? While you didn't deserve a thing, he put his son on the cross because your created value deserved a thing. You didn't deserve anything. Your created value demanded the cross. Your heritage Your potential, your destiny was crying out. And love said, yeah. (gasps) You didn't earn a thing. You didn't deserve nothing. We did a good job at hurting us and others. 
You say, well, I wasn't so bad. You were way, way, way less than his image, I promise. Just that little attitude is enough, man. <laughs> Just that little whatever. Because it's touchy. It's touchy. You can be touched. See, if you're touchy, you'll be touched. Did you learn that? Did you learn that in life, that if you're touchy, you'll be touched? Wonder if you're not touchy. You say, brother, everybody's touchy. Jesus wasn't touchy. Jesus was love. And he said, follow me. Now that's our goal, isn't it? To be Christ-like. So Christianity isn't church attendance. It's Christ-likeness. Whoa. Christianity isn't denominational circles. Fighting over doctrine. It's Christ-likeness. Because if we fight over doctrine at the cost of the value of the ones we're fighting with, we prove we're a million miles from the heart of the gospel. We've just deemed ourselves right at the cost of everything. And we will find ourselves terribly wrong if that doesn't change. Are you hearing me? Come on, man. Christianity is Christ-likeness. Now, nobody can live that in Him like you. You and Him. You're the only one that can live that in you. So if you're trying to find yourself through anybody else, you're going to be deceived. You're going to be swayed. You find yourself through Him so you can have the greatest relationships with everybody else. You guys follow me? Come on, we've tried to find ourselves through one another, through a good church, through a good connection, through a support system, ministry, somewhere I fit, a niche, a talent, a skill, a gift. Next thing you know, instead of saying, hi, hi, my name's, where's, 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 where's the guy that's drumming? What's your name again? Bob. Bob. It would be like Bob, me coming up and, and the first time ever to church and, and, and Bob coming up instead of saying, hey man, I'm glad you're here, my name's Bob. He goes, hey, I'm the drummer. No, he's Bob way before he's the drummer and he's the son way before he's the drummer. But sometimes we identify with what we do instead of what we've become. get it? You know, hey, I'm glad to meet you. I'm one of the elders here. I, I, that language concerns me. I don't judge it. It just concerns me. We're identifying with what we do. I, I, I want to know you for who you are in Christ way before I know you as the elder here. Are you following? But watch this. The trap is if you find value in yourself through what you're doing, not that you can't enjoy it and do it with all your heart, but there's a trap. You start finding value. Roy and I talked about this before where some people just need to be needed. It gets weird. Some people serve in a ministry for the accolade and go out of their way to get acknowledgement. And if the acknowledgement doesn't come, their heart is hurting and they get hard and angry and think people don't appreciate them and they laid down their life. Well, I thought you laid down your life because of love, not to be appreciated. So why are you so hurt? And the rationale and natural wisdom says, yeah, but they should, they, they're ungrateful. They should appreciate me. No, if that's the motive you're doing it in, you're testing the hearts of men and missing the whole point of why you're alive. It'd be like going to a church to see if it's loving. It should be you're there. So when we go to the church, we prove that we don't know who we are in the moment. And instead of looking at our own life, we're looking at everybody's around ours. And then that 
becomes our reason for where we're at and none of that's Lord. Are you guys following me? Come on. Because God's done a lot of good things in His people and He's got a lot of good things going in momentum and then it's these little foxes that sneak in to steal the precious fruit of the vine. Try to reduce something to a movement and then people attach to find identity because it's the happening thing and stuff like that. I'm telling people, they, I, I hear this all the time and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not scolding anybody correcting, but I, apparently people slap me all over YouTube and people say, man, I listen to you all the time. I go to bed with you night and night. And that's great. I'm glad you're getting something out of it. But listen, if it's not taking you to a closer relationship with Him and you're getting to know Him more, you'll just start saying the new thing out there, the new language. You'll become a, a, a you'll just grab on to, and you'll just, ah, and miss the whole reason for it. I get concerned. Young people call my house all the time. Hey, brother, just love you, man. And they, they do all my one-liners that apparently I do a lot that I don't even realize because I don't have a plan, but there's things I must say a lot. And they call them one-liners. And they say, dude, you're one-liners, man. Five minutes of your one-liners is more than I've learned in my whole life. And I'm like, well, awesome. But while they're on the phone, they're letting me know they're struggling with this. Or, hey, I'd love to get together with you sometime. Or can you give me a pray? Uh, 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 pray for me now and then or something. And then, but they're getting out the one-liners to let me know they listen and they got the language. you got to be careful with that stuff. Man, I don't care what language you're talking. Become more like Him through your relationship with Him. I mean, I care, but what I'm saying is that doesn't make you who you are. When when God does things in the church and we mark it as a movement, people run to that movement because they're finding identity through what they're a part of instead of who's in them. Are you guys following me? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bashing a bunch of folks tonight. I'm trying to protect some things because we seem to slip into that stuff in good intention and good heart to grow. We slip into that stuff. I mean, serious. Who in this room can relate that you've been in seasons of encouragement, you're running well, and then all of a sudden you find this place where your heart's a little dulled or you don't seem to be running as well or you're not as encouraged as you used to be and, and then you stir back up? Can anybody relate to that kind of flow? See, I, I, don't, I don't feel like God wants us to keep going. He wants us to just be in Him. Because when doesn't He love me? When isn't life good in Him? Come on, my wife could be having like the most ridiculous day of her life and doing things you'd never imagine she would do. And that should make a draw on mercy and Christ all the more in your heart. Why have my dependency for my day on everybody around me when Christ is in me? Come on. You think the people closest to you can hurt you the most. No, life taught you that. The people closest to you are the ones you say you love. And love doesn't take any account of a suffer wrong because it doesn't seek its own. Don't reduce your love to I need you. I need you. You weren't there for me. You broke my heart. I'm shattered. And now you justify it and you call a counselor to tell them how wrong your spouse was. And if the counselor had any sense in understanding the gospel, they'd get your spouse out of the room and minister to your own heart. That's what I do. And say, could you excuse us just for a second? Yeah, close the door tight. Thank you. <laughs> That's how I counsel. <laughs> Come on, we live in a he said, she said world. It's tit for tat. He said, she said. Well, I wouldn't feel this way if it wasn't. Well, you ought to get off my back. Well, you ought to be more sensitive. Well, you wouldn't go through it. It was me. It was I. Was, you weren't in my shoes. 
And all of a sudden we're justifying everything that's not Christ. And at what point does Jesus really matter? At what point is He more than an Easter story? At, at what point is He more than a trip to heaven if that trumpet really does ever blow? Come on, guys. At what point does everything He lived and said and expressed matter and penetrate my heart and change my life to where I'm in the world and I'm no longer of it? And I look through a different eye and in all you're getting, all, not some, all you're getting, get understanding. My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. We don't quote the next verse and I've given them the knowledge and they've rejected it. He's the truth, not a, the. He's not letters on a page, He's a life lived. Jesus, Holy Spirit, Spirit of truth. Come on! He came for a whole chapter and said, You say, but I say. You say, but I say. What's He saying? The fall of man changed your language. You were tutored in another wisdom. You were homeschooled in the wrong home. Follow me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the light of the world. Come on. He is so much more than an answer to prayer, a blessing, and a name in the book of life. He is our answer for life. He shows me who I am. He modeled what I was created to live apart from sin. He's not just my Savior. He's my role model for life. He has shown me the way. And I'm following Him. Do you get it? What you do is your privilege. You can get hurt. You can get issues. You can do anything you want. It's your privilege. But man, your life is a gift. You're on the earth for one reason. His image. Mercy woke you up again today to give you another day to look like your Father. He didn't give you another day to get through. He gave you another day to bear witness of His image and let your light so shine before men. And if you're not careful, you'll make it all about you and miss the whole point of why He's in you. And all of a sudden it's about blessing, provision, breakthrough, favor, prosperity. And we miss the whole point of the Spirit of God in us transforming us. Guys, all right? I know I'm a little passionate right now. It just gets in me a little like I was being pretty easy there for a long time. (laughs) No, I was, I was, I wasn't distracted. I was just on, I, I felt my heart. I felt the Lord draw. He wants people in His presence. He wants you to go home and get some communion elements and just get in a quiet room where nobody knows you're there. And just look up. And if you have to cry for 10 minutes, cry. But don't let it be condemnation. Just let it be, a, here I am, Lord. I'm done hiding. I'm done being mad. I'm done living a lie. I'm done. Just, I'm done with a violated conscience. And get alone with Him tonight, man. Like, get alone with Him and take communion elements and hold up the bread and say, man, you gave your body. You really love me. You know I haven't been able to do God, I just thank you for receiving the And Just believe that He sees you for more than you're carrying into the room. You've got to start there. Look, you wouldn't feel bad about it if you were as evil as you've been deceived to think or as hypocritical or as lost. You wouldn't feel bad. You wouldn't even care if there was something so wrong with you on the inside. 
Come on. People come to me crying, oh, I can't believe what I did, Pastor. And they tell you they're bad stuff, man. And they're crying. Has ever happened? <laughs> we need to talk. What's going on? Ooh. And they can't even, they're, they're facing what they got to tell me now. And they're crying so hard because they're facing the reality that they functioned in that manner. And now they want to come clean and tell you. And there's a lot of tears. Can you, you know, that happens to fellows like me in the position I'm in, especially when I pastored local. And my answer was always across the board the same. I'd watch those tears and I'd hear what they'd say. And rarely did things shock me. It doesn't make it okay. You want it to change. But here's what they come to you thinking. They come to thinking that they are what they did. That's why they're crying so hard. And I would look at them across the board and I would laugh and I'd say, man, and I'm not making light of sin. You'll hear in a second. The first thing I would do is say, man, I'm so excited to see how the gospel's purified your heart. And they'd think it was like a slap in the face, like I was being cynical, like, because they would think, a pure heart? Is that a joke? Didn't you hear what I just said I did? Well, I did hear what you said you did, but I see who you are. And if we can keep fixed on who you're becoming and growing into, what you did will change. But if you start thinking you're what you did, well, then we're back to square one as if Christ didn't even die. Come on. Oh, that'll change you right there. You guys getting this? Come on. One of the biggest mistakes we make is we think our ability to sin makes us sinners. No, your faith in Him makes you a son, robes you in righteousness, and that doesn't give you a permission to sin and get away with it. It empowers you to live free from it. And it'll change your life and weak things will become strong. And things that pulled on you will lose their voice and luster. And you'll look one day and wonder why you were even drawn there in the first place because you'll see so clear. And all of a sudden, you're not self-made man and you won't get a trophy someday. You'll just weep before Him and cast your crown because He is the Lord and you are what you are by the grace of God. Because without this gospel, I would be the wretched man I was in 1995, the moment before June 9th at 7, 7.30. Yeah. You guys good? Two places Jesus talked about your joy being made full. That's when you're walking in love and creative value. And John, the apostle in 1 John, talked about your joy being made full when you have a relationship with God. Your joy being full is being in right standing with God. Seeing your value through the cross and the resurrection. Not through your life lived or your actions or the actions of others. Here's what we've done inadvertently without realizing it. We've let the lives of others decide our value. We've left what people have done and haven't done decide our value. And we've spent countless hours trying to minister to each other to get each other past each other. (laughs) And I don't even know what we're thinking. Because if you really get what I'm saying, nobody has power over what he's done and said. The just live by faith. And I could come up with a million little reasons why maybe I wouldn't be okay. But he's coming. Seems to have really overtook all those reasons. 
<laughs> Do you get it? I mean, I could go through my whole story, but it's not his story. I promise you, you don't have to bring God through the eye of the needle of your life. You bring your life through the eye of the needle of God and you'll get a clear picture of everything you remember and have been through. I was just up in the New England states. You know what the Lord told me to say? He said, you've stereotyped your lives as New Englanders and your sons and daughters way before your New Englanders. And what they're saying is, well, we're just this way because of where we live. Well, maybe you ought to be this way because of who lives in you. The first time I ever had that concept was a while back. I did an all-Asian church with an interpreter in California. And the Lord woke me up at 5 in the morning and His presence was on me. And He said, I want you to speak plain to these people. They won't hear you in dishonor. And He said, they're valuing their Asian culture above the kingdom. And they believe they're Asian before their kingdom. And when I explained that one and taught it out with passion, you should have seen the tears all across the place. Because they say, well, Asians are this way. Asians are this way. Well, we're this way because we're Asian. And all of a sudden, you're stereotyped by the world you live in instead of the world that lives in you. You get it? Come on, it's that way in your own life. If you don't see yourself through Christ, all of a sudden, you're no stronger than the weakness around you. And yet the kingdom of God lives in you and all of a sudden it's reduced to a theological positional confession instead of a demonstration of life. You guys follow me? Okay. I'm going to read something here quick. And You guys getting something? Okay. It's the whole reason you're on the planet. It's the image of God. Don't let the devil or anyone lie to you. Scripture after Scripture proves the whole reason you're on the planet is to be restored back to His image. The goal of our instruction, 1 Timothy 1.5, the goal of the commandment is love. Not blessing. Not prosperity and provision. Look, if he fills your vats and barns, great, man. I am okay with it. But make sure that doesn't become who you are along the way. But the bottom line is this. I'm not afraid of blessing and I just don't preach it because here's what I've seen. We're going after that and don't even know why necessarily we're Christians. We actually think we're Christians for the blessing. So that the blessing that we think is blessing doesn't come. Now our whole lives are in question and so is God. And we just sang, yet He's proven His great love. Here's why, let me act out why the, why the cross of Jesus Christ is the love of God revealed, okay? Because come on, either He's a very lonely fella. I mean, why would God die on a cross for us? I mean, he, he might, he's either real lonely and he's looking to get somebody's attention. He's got a weird way of trying to make a friend. I don't know. <laughs> or he knows something we hadn't seen. Because how could Jesus possibly go through what he went through and endure it and do it? Come on. Did you ever feel... The fear of man in your life? Did you ever get nervous about your faith? Did you ever have a self-conscious moment and felt like, man, I ought to share this, and then you clammed up and didn't and got scared for yourself, thought for yourself, thought about others? How they? Did you ever experience that? Here's Jesus born to die. He knows He's going to die, and He knows He's not just going to die. He's going to get pummeled and beat beyond description. 
I mean, again and again and again. He was telling his boys for a long time what was coming and what was going to go down and how it was going to go. He knew. He's at the table ready to break bread. Last supper, we call it. And he's going to cut covenant. He's going to give them a sign of body and blood and, and, and something to hold on to and hope. And I'm not going to eat of this or drink of this cup until that day. And, he, and he's going through the whole thing and he's looking at guys that as soon as he's struck, they're all going to scatter. Come on, that's another hurting minister in our culture. He's got Judas already selling him out. He knows he's got Peter who's going to deny him and he's sitting there saying, I'll die for him. Everybody else is whispering, we'll die too, and he already knows they're all going to run. And he still breaks that bread and passes it around the table. When he raises from the dead... These guys are huddled in a room for fear of the Jews. They're overwhelmed. We would have been too. They were afraid of death. They were afraid of, they loved their own lives. No matter how miracles, Jesus, many miracles, no matter living with them, all, they loved their own lives and they were afraid of death. There's a lot of Christians today that still are living that way. And then you get trapped trying to incorporate him into your life instead of him becoming your life. But Jesus raises from the dead in John 20. Mary realizes it's Jesus. He says, don't cling to me. I haven't ascended to the Father, but go tell my brethren. He could have said, go tell them low life, no account for nothing. Disciples who said one thing and did another and ain't got nothing right. He could have laid it on them, man. In the flesh, as a natural man, we would have expected that. Guess what he's did? He comes back from the dead while he's speaking to Mary about them. They're huddled afraid. They've, they've done nothing right. And he says, go tell my brother. And what's he saying by saying that? It's a covenant term. It's a family term. Here's what he's saying. I haven't changed my mind about you. I know who you are. They've done nothing right. He comes up from the dead and he doesn't say, so where were you, Peter? Huh. Said you'd die, huh? Yeah, right. You should have listened to me. I told you you weren't going to. I told you you'd deny me. See, I was right, wasn't I? When are you going to learn to humble your heart, Peter? You always think you know. Don't you know I'm the teacher? I'm the leader here? I mean, it could have been anything weird like that if he's just a man. And after the fact, it would all made sense and we'd all understand. Nope, all he sees is brethren. Why? He doesn't look with outward appearance. He doesn't, he doesn't get analytical and start assessing and troubleshooting. Here's what that would look like. Wouldn't that have been nice? Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, the only salvation of mankind, getting analytical, getting trapped in human reasoning and wisdom, going to the cross, beat beyond description. And all of a sudden, he just can't shake Barabbas. It was like the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, it's bad enough they did all this to me, but I had to watch him release Barabbas. You know, God, this is... And the whole time he's going to Golgotha, he's thinking in his mind and rationalizing. Did you ever rationalize and get yourself in a real mess? Guess who taught you to rationalize with that outcome? The fall of man. You say, well, God made us that way. No, no, no. You became that way when man ate the tree. God never made you with the ability to talk yourself out of him. Don't you take human reasoning 
seminaries say, don't let anybody steal away your ability to reason. God gave us the ability to reason. Not apart from Him. Maybe but God who's rich in mercy. But what shall we say to these things if He's for us who can be against us? But to talk yourself out of Him, God did not make you that way. That happened when Eve followed His voice and Adam followed her. And we've been subservient. Because that would be Jesus doing this. Man, God, so much pain. These people, I healed so many of them. And, and, and some of them, I saw them, people that I healed, and they're out there yelling and re- release Barabbas and crucify me. And all of a sudden, he's thinking and feeling sorry for himself. And he's like, God, if they didn't change by now, how are we sure they're ever going to change? I mean, Barabbas, are you kidding me? That was just too big of an insult. Bad enough, they did all these things to me, God. But what have I failed in? I've done so much good. I've, I've just blessed. I've delivered. I've fed their thousands. I mean, multiplied food. How many times? And the best they can do is this to me and release Barabbas and judge me. After a while, you're just feeling sorry for yourself and you don't even see the value of the ones that you're about to die for. Because you so assess their wrong that you can't see anything right about them. Did you ever live that way? We all have. And then you talk to a friend that feels the way you do and now you really have them crucified. And now you have them wicked and planning and scheming. People do that about pastors, church leaders, churches, friends. They say, hey, did you see so-and-so lately? Yeah. Did you think they acted strange? Well, I thought they were a little quiet. You know why they're quiet. I think, yeah. Next thing you know, you got them like villainous. And nobody even loved enough, cared enough to even talk to them. You're just over in a room and you've got them all figured out and don't even know. It's called the pride of man. It's called presumption. And the more you talk, the more you set a case against that thing that you're thinking about. And Jesus never lived that way all the way through Scripture. And even when man was flat out wrong, while we were yet sinners, he what? And he said, follow me. Now listen, you take this for what it's worth in your own heart. I'm going to live that way. Because grace says I can. And the only thing I have to be is willing. Now the only reason you won't live that way, watch, is because you're not willing. But if you start with a sincere yes, grace will take you to that place. But if you grow weary and well-doing and yell, but, and well, they, and I ain't a doormat, and all of a sudden those rights pop up. Guess where you got rights from? The fall of man when man thought for himself from that day on. Just the simple right to be offended and a lot of the church agrees that we could be and should be. They did what to you? Oh, they should have known better. Oh my gosh, I can't believe they put you through that. They did what? Oh honey, come here, let's pray. That's the most twisted scenario, unspiritual, and Jesus isn't in the little circle even though you're praying. Because you're actually telling the heart that it should feel the way it feels. You're not teaching it love. There's no freedom. It's superficial. It's surface. It's shallow. And I promise you, grace isn't even over that circle. They're just drawing compassion from you and sympathy in the fact that you care for them in, in their pain. I'm telling you, it happens all the time. And here's what people do. They attach themselves to other people that know that they would hurt just like them and they, and they would understand. And they become your support system. And you're licking wounds and nobody's healed. You're supporting a position that needs to be crucified. 
Are you guys making sense to this? Come on, man. That's why your relationship with Jesus is huge. Or you'll try to get from one another what only he can give. So if somebody does you super, super injustice, like big time wrong, man, is it possible to be like Jesus? I believe it is. So in closing, I'm I'm saying, it's your privilege to go after that place. What you do with a fellow like me talking like this tonight, just rolling into town and very corrective and adjusted. What you do with it is your privilege. But man, I want you to run this race well. What you do with these words is your privilege. You're the steward of your own heart. You live with you. And it's time to get that veil off and it's time to come clean on all these things and say, you know what? I'm done having rights. I'm done living for me. I'm done incorporating Christian language into my life. I'm going to let his life become my life. Are you following me? And then you get alone with him and you just make this thing clear. Because the first thing Jesus said, if we're going to follow him, now the American church, and I'm not saying that in a sarcastic way, the mindset in America, what we've done with the gospel is prayer, prayer to go to heaven. That's what we've done with the gospel. We, we say you've got to pray this prayer so you can go to heaven. And we make the motive going to heaven when heaven wants to get into you. Jesus said, if any man come after me, let him first. What's first on the list? Matthew 16. If any man's going to follow me, if any man's going to come after me and walk after me, then there's something he has to do first. What's the first thing? Why is that first? You were never made for you. You were made for his image. Living for you is the biggest perversion on the planet. Trying to get God to move for you and on your behalf and all these blessings that's preached all over the place. You have more discouraged Christians than we can count if anybody would come clean and be serious. You've got people striving for more faith and better faith to get more blessings and they're wondering what's wrong with their prayers and they're spending all their attention on trying to grow in a place to get God to move for them. And they're missing everyday value, everyday purpose and love through them to the world around them. Come on, guys. I'm telling you, when you become love, you'll be as free. On that list of things you were praying for, you won't even see that anymore. You'll be so blessed, you won't even know what to do. When I talk about love and relationships, see how borderline flaky I can get. I'm just about on the edge. But I stay where I need to be because I have to communicate. But I'll tell you what, my heart's excited more than you understand. Because I promise you, you're looking at a man that doesn't have issues. I have a father that loves me and I have the kingdom and I have understanding. And it changes everything. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I don't need all my ducks in a row and I don't need everybody around me acting right. I just need him inside of me and he is. And man, it's a good day because of it. So you travel. I'm on airplanes all the time. I mean, I could be like, oh no, my flight's late. Oh God, why are you letting this all happen to me? What did I do wrong? What door did I open? How could my flight be canceled? Come on. It'll all work out. It's not my life, remember? And I'm not going to lose my disposition. Somebody around me just might need love. Might just be more time. You just sit beside somebody and say, how you doing, man? <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> Or somebody to sit beside me and say, say, how you doing, man? So, so why, were you flying in, why were you flying from there? What, what were you doing there? Really, man, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you. <sighs> See, I'm like a pool cord doll. And my string only knows one length, like a couple miles. 
That funny thing finally makes it. If you don't pull it again, I will, because now I'm fired up. That's how I am on an airplane. You ought to see it. I just sat with a guy. He just last week he squeezed my hand so tight on the airplane, rocking to pray, and he doesn't even believe in God. But he was crying out for hope. And I said, "Listen to me, man." He said, "How do you get that, man?" Watch what he said. Oh, he looked right in my eyes. He said, "This is real to you. I see it in your eyes. It's real to you. How do I get in my eyes what I see?" You want somebody on a plane asking you questions like that. <laughs> Rather than we're all just bummed out because it's rocky flight and we left late and another mechanical issue and flying blanks. and Come on. I don't have him in me to be self-conscious. I don't have him in me to worry about those things and make all those things matter so much. I have Him in me so the man that has no hope can have hope because my heart's exploding with it whether we left 40 minutes late or not. Yeah? Whether you did me right or not. See, I've lost my ability to cry because of you. The gospel has taken it from me. All I can do now is cry for you. I will never again cry because of you. But I sure will cry for you if that situation will ever arise. It's become so easy to cry for us when we should be crying for them. Because if they knew who they were, they wouldn't have done what they did. They wouldn't have said what they said. If they knew who you were, they wouldn't have lived the way they lived. So why are you taking their words personal and trumping the truth about your life? Why are you making them Lord when He is? Why are you no more than a product of their deficit, their blindness? Why are you letting that thing reproduce in you and now we're all crushed? Now we just need counsel and prayer and healing and deliverance. No, we need understanding and faith. And you need to see why your feet are on the planet. Because if any man, any man, any, come after me, let him deny himself. Why? You were never made for you. It's the second time I said that. Come on. You read the manufacturer's handbook of a microwave. It wasn't made for metal. You keep putting metal in there, what are you going to do to the product? You read the manufacturer's handbook, there wasn't a single human being made for himself. You read the manufacturer's handbook, the creator, the one that created this thing. He said, this thing wasn't made for itself. And if you keep living for yourself, you're going to destroy what was made. So why don't we repent, get born again, and get back to purpose? The Bible says the reason we gather is to stir one another in love and good works, not get blessings. The reason we gather is to stir one another up in what it's all about. And somehow along the line, we've made it all about Him for us instead of Him through us. And we have discouraged people in the church and there should be no such thing. Heaven doesn't even understand why you're discouraged when the greatest good news ever is on the planet. So don't grow weary and well-doing. Why? Man, it's your gift to become like Him. What you do with what I'm telling you is between you and Him. You know that? Man, your life's a gift. Don't you let anybody lie to you, anything, any thought. If the thoughts you're harboring and getting and they're coming to you even while I'm speaking aren't producing life, well, then the fingerprints are all over those thoughts. Because if they ain't producing life, 
and they can't be from the life giver. They're from that snake that keeps trying to lie and get you to keep eating that tree. Keep you veiled and away from him when he's calling you near. I'm telling you, every person in this room has the right to approach him through the blood of Jesus. And not use it as an excuse to stay the same, but see it as a doorway for change. Because in that place, you cannot stay the same. Look, the last thing I'm thinking when I wake up is sinning and feeding my flesh. Are you kidding me? My life is a gift. The Spirit of God lives in me. Yeah! And you think I'm going to have issues? Not today. Look, there's a man on a plane that needs hope who's squeezing my hands, staring in my eyes. You want to be in that position. I can tell you story after story after story like that with real people, man. All the time. Yeah. Why? That's why I'm on the planet. To look like my father. It's the only reason we're alive. I'm being that extreme tonight. Deny yourself. Pick up your... What's that mean? That means taxi through every injustice, every unfairness, everything. Suffering for doing good, everything. Never letting sin against you have the right to produce sin in you. Never repaying evil for evil, but overcoming evil with good. Pick up your cross. That means follow Jesus. Do what He did. Manifest love. Look, when you squeeze an orange, you expect orange juice. If it was apple, it would be weird. Why isn't it weird when you squeeze a Christian and get everything but Christ? Man, that ought to be weird. It ought to be so weird to squeeze a little Christ-like one and get something other than Christ. (laughs) See, I could pick you because I see Him in you. Amen. I do. You get it? So wonder if Satan's learned that he squeezes people to find out what they're made of, what they understand, what they don't understand, what they believe, what they don't believe. Wonder if he comes to test faith. Wonder if he comes to test understanding. Wonder if he comes to poke a little just to see. And he's taking a great risk when he pokes his life like that because he's taking a risk of making him and manifesting Christ even more. But he's willing to take that risk because he believes if he could poke him enough in just the right way, he could break him. Instead of making. But if he's really dead to himself and alive unto God and he doesn't take account of suffer wrongs, don't matter what button you push, the answer's always there. You get it? So Satan takes a great risk when he touches the people of God. But I believe he's pretty arrogant and I believe he believes this about all of us. He believes we don't love God. He believes we need God. And there's a huge difference. You be on the side of loving God, okay? Because love believes the best. Don't indict Him and subpoena Him in the court of your mind. Don't make Him the bad guy now that He's sent His Son. Because I was going to act it out a while ago and I didn't, but here's what the cross means. This is Jesus hanging on the cross. And this is what love proven means. I know who you are, people. That's why I'm hanging here. 
I've known you from the beginning. Nothing was made that wasn't made through me. You have great destiny, great purpose. You're not who you think and you're not what you think. I know who you are when I'm inside of you and my death is worth your life lived. I'm hanging here dying because I love you because I really know who you are. And if you'll come to me and come out of the darkness into the light, I'll teach you who you are. So come to me, you who are heavy laden, you who are burdened and heavy laden, come unto me. I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. Why? Because it doesn't carry the weight of self-centeredness. I'm telling you, you and me have been our worst enemy. We think it's the devil and people. It's ourselves. I was destroying me. I used to think if God tweaked you, life would be better. That's what I used to think. I was destroying myself. I was living at your expense. That's antichrist. Love lays down its life, and we're living at the expense of one another. Come on, that's anti-creative value stuff. Get real with me. Your whole life you lived in that perverted stuff. Don't get your hope up. What you see is what you get. You made your bed, sleep in it. What you don't know won't hurt you. Do you hear them phrases growing up? The Bible says the opposite about everyone. Isn't that intriguing? Yeah. I would come down here just for that right there. You have no idea. I've told you that before. Yeah. She really messes me up. She just slid up there. I seen her go too and my heart fluttered. I went, oh. I was so happy. We're going to do something quick. I do want to pray. I do want to pray for the sick and we can do it without a lot of time. We don't need a lot of time and God will do neat things here. But as she's just touching them keys lightly, I want you to really consider the thing I've cried out tonight. It's very guarded, very protected kind of family meeting if you think about it. It's protecting our hearts from making some of the same old unintended mistakes. Didn't, didn't you ever hear the phrase, what you don't know won't hurt you? Did you ever hear that growing up? The Bible says what you don't know is destroying you. That's a pretty dramatic difference. What you don't know won't hurt you. What you don't know is destroying you. That's a pretty dramatic difference of outcomes. The reason we have times like this, it's not corrective. Nobody's getting spanked tonight. You're getting encouraged to walk in the light. And there's a real clear... Like God doesn't preach this way to show you where you're not. He does it to show you where you're called. He doesn't preach like this through a preacher so you leave here going, boy, i got a long way to go. It's so you leave here and say, man, i got a light on the trail, man. I can see the path. I've got somewhere to go in you, God. And I'm excited about growing up into you and all these things. You follow me? Because watch how that self-centered thing is twisted. Just here's condemnation all about me. Oh, well, thanks a lot, brother. You just exposed all the bad in me. No. We just showed what you're not to make it really hard for you to keep giving yourself to what you're not. <laughs> Did you get it? I'm going to read this. Oh my goodness, that's wild. I never... That's the page I showed my little thing. 
the scripture the Lord just told me to read. I said, okay, because there's about four I could read. And he said, read this. That's the one I opened when I showed that little thing that lady made. I'm already there. That's the page I was going to. I went to, t- I went, what? I didn't tell you guys I was going to read that. It's almost like he does know, isn't it? You're sharp, Roy. See, I told you you were sharp. <laughs> Good, Pastor Roy. <laughs> oh, I like you so much. Verse 21 of Colossians 1. And I'm just going to pray over, over us as a whole, but what you do with your heart, man, you've got to get alone with God and find this place tonight. I mean it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm calling some people tonight into this place. Even if you're married and stuff, and you just say to your spouse, listen, I want to take Pastor up on what he... I just, you okay if I just go break in a room? Just, man, go break in a room. But find a place to alone tonight. Lord, I just want to step into everything you created me for. I, I'm facing you. I'm receiving your love. I'm coming out of this place. I want want this so much more. I want this. And God, I'm just coming and I'm telling you, I believe. You just talk out of your heart. I'm believing. Because if I pray like I would pray, you'll try to puppet that. It might even overwhelm you because I've had a relationship for a long time. But you, you might feel like you're stuttering as long as your heart's functioning. That's a good place. You might feel like you're struggling for words, but you know what you want to say, right? So is it all before Him? Okay, so are you weighed and judged and measured by your fluency of prayer? Or your heart? So you just get alone and say, I know my life is a gift, God, and I thank you you're going to teach me that more and more. But right now, I give up my rights. I, I need to verbally say, I've been touchy. I hold people to this, that. I notice I... I've been so critical with my own self, I realize I see the faults in everybody around me. I'm done living that way. You don't see people that way. You see them for potential. You see them for value. And that's the eyes that I receive, God. And I thank you that you're changing me even as I stand here in this room. Grace is making me more and more like you. Every one of us can pray that way if we release faith. Come on, guys. Are you just going to wake up and pray for a better day? Or pray for a not bad day? And then you'll be real self-conscious about how your day went. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> Wouldn't it be fun if we learned that in the biggest challenges and the most adversity we've faced, there's more glory and more God revealed than ever. And all of a sudden, we wouldn't even be about, we wouldn't even know what adversity looks like because it's always an opportunity to shine. You say, Dan, I don't like that preaching, man. It sounds like you're setting us up for trouble. Wonder if you'd be, you'd be so free and so aware of this that Satan wouldn't even have anything he could do. That no matter what happened, you would manifest Jesus. I bet we'd really be winning then, wouldn't we? You guys follow me? Well, let me tell you, that's why mercy woke you up today. Okay? You'll never live that way if you don't settle it in your heart before Him that you've given up your rights and that you're done. You're done living at the expense of men and letting men define who you are. He's defining that and you're loving the world around you. Here's what I'm going to read and then we're going to be done. And you, you, me, who were once alienated and enemies, watch what made us enemies and alienated in our minds. The way your mind worked is what estranged you from God. 
See, you just think it's wickedness and perversity and adultery and pornography. Thinking for yourself is enmity to God. Loving the world and the things in the world is hostile to God. It says the love of God isn't in you if those things are driving you. Right? Why? Because it's contrary to your creative value. So the way your mind worked is what alienated you. And it says, yet now, even though that was true, yet now he's reconciled. Why? He saw past the way you and me were motivated. He saw past the way you and me were living and knew what we were created for. So that's why I say your created value trumped your lack of production. So Jesus didn't die on the cross because you earned it. He died on the cross because he created you to be his. And love never fails. So he never lost sight of your value on your darkest day. Do you get this? This is huge. So he reconciled you. That means he made you friends with him. In the, in the body of his flesh, through death, to present you holy. Watch this. He reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death to do what? To present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight. What did we change in that scripture? What did we do to earn that? Where does it say we changed anything up until this point of what I just read? A minute ago you were alienated and an enemy, yet now he's reconciled and showed you that you're more than what you're failing to produce or producing, and he's made you to be friends with him through the blood to present you before him holy, blameless, and above reproach. If you confess your sins, is he faithful? Does he forgive you of all sin, cleanse you of... So if He cleanses you of all unrighteousness, this isn't rocket science, if He cleanses you of all unrighteousness, what's left? Righteousness. If there's no unrighteousness, then you must be right with God. Come on, this thing is so simple. If indeed, watch, holy, blameless, above reproach in His sight, watch, if indeed you continue believing it's true and don't let anything change your mind. That's what it says. Do you get it? This thing is true, and it'll be true for you if indeed you keep believing it and don't let anything change your mind. Do you get it? So that's where I want to take you in prayer right now. And I want you to take this gift called life and just give it back to Him. And I don't know where you came from tonight and what's been going on in your heart, but I heard a handful of folks that were veiled and even grayed out from their relationship with God, but they were here because they have a conviction, and they go to church and do things, you can be in leadership and live that way. You can be a pastor and live that way. You follow me? And it's not cool. It's not cool. God doesn't want you living that way. That isn't what makes you who you are. This is what makes you who you are. It's out of your being that all you're doing will flow. Or you'll run out of gas. You'll become an empty tank. That's why people get wore out and run down in ministry. Because they're living and riding their gift. They're riding the wave of their gift. Did you ever watch a surfer on an amazing wave? Looked pretty impressive for a moment, but what happened to the wave in a little bit? And all of a sudden, he's back in on the beach and he ain't riding nothing. And then he's got to paddle and swim hard to get the whole way back out there to catch another one. And in the natural, that's fun. But in the spirit, that isn't what you're created for. 
Where he says, man, go catch a new wave. I'm catching this wave. I'm catching this wave. Don't you catch no wave. You're in a river that never runs dry. He ain't catching a wave. That's not just a play on words. Okay? Father, I thank you right now that you've just called all men to your heart, all men to yourself. And tonight, I just thank you for the perception I had. It wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't a judgmental thing. Man, I heard your heart longing for your kids, longing for relationship, longing for the veils to come off the face. That no guilt, no condemnation, no shame would stand in this room. That not one thing would keep one person from meeting with you, from communing with you, from staying with you. Not appointments, God, not an hour a day, not just making an appointment, but developing a relationship with you, a conscious awareness of you, where they begin to talk and commune. And God, where you begin to talk and commune back. I'm asking you to unveil every person in this room. I'm praying that there be no foxes that spoil the precious fruit of the vine. That God, what you started will finish. Lord, that it's being cultivated. That you're fertilizing around the roots. You're watering. The sun is shining on this thing, God. And I thank you it's growing. And I just thank you that no one in this room would let life speak louder than truth. I pray that truth would ring so loud in the heart of your people. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you speak to us and walk us through every situation from this night forward. Come on, you can ask Him to do that. You can tell Him you're willing. You can say, Lord, take the seriousness of what this man's crying out for a long time over and over and, and, and let it mark my heart for Your glory. And Holy Spirit, remind me in these things and show these things, expose these things, remove these things. God, I have more of a faith in Your ability to keep me than my ability to fail. So I trust Your amazing love, God. But I'm in. I want to become love. And that's what I want to close with before we pray for the sick. And it won't take long to pray for the sick, I promise. You becoming love is what this is all about. It's why I go to the places I go. Because it's the goal of our instruction. And I promise you people, it's as simple as this. You saying, yes, I'm willing to become love. Holy Spirit, keep fashioning my heart in alignment with the Father. There's always a few people in a room this size. The Lord showed me a long time ago, but it doesn't have to be this way. He said, there's always seems to be a few people that say, I don't want to become love. They want to hold on to the right they inherited through the fall of man. All Jesus is asking you to give back is what you never were in the first place. Don't let natural reasoning rule you. Don't let natural wisdom rule you. Say, man, I'm ready to die so that I can truly live. So I, I give up my right to have rights, to obtain one right, to be like Him. Now, if you'll whisper out in your heart, not out loud, but in your heart right now and say, Father, I am so willing to become love. I don't want any weakness in my life. I don't want to take account of suffered wrongs. Man, I want the strength of love. I want to look and see the best in people. And even if they fail, I want to be able to redeem and restore from a pure heart, not a frustrated heart. I don't want to correct because I'm angry. I want to correct because of compassion. I don't want to adjust somebody. I don't even want to correct my children because they've pushed me too far. I want to only speak to my children because they're living less than their value if they're doing that. And there's so much more. Let me always do things from the right and pure place that brings the highest grace, God. Come on, if you'll tell Him you're willing to live that way right now, we've done a great thing tonight. And Holy Spirit, I thank You that You're faithful. And I thank you. You'll do an amazing work through and through. God, I thank you.
If you're sick in any way in your body, in any way, stand your feet real quick, please. Please stand your feet. So every person in this place, you've got one response when you leave here. You love me. You're for me. You're doing an amazing work. So touch them right now. Father, we thank you right now for these people. And we just thank you, God, that you're doing a great thing. In Jesus' name, behold. And God, we just thank you right now for freedom. We thank you that you change every situation because of your great love. Father, even while they'll sleep tonight, even while they wake, God, even as they tomorrow morning realize, oh my goodness, this is like night and day. This is awesome. And Father, don't let it be apart from an amazing awareness of you and an amazing awareness of your love. Yeah, pain, we come against you. We tell you to leave her body in the authority of Jesus' name. And don't, That's right. Don't you ever come back. Loose her and let her go. The body of Christ adjures you. Let our sister go. In Jesus' name. Father, let your great love come. Bring restoration to her body in every way. Let there be loss in nothing. In Jesus' name. You that we prayed for, lift your hands with me, please. And just say, Father, thank you. You love me. I just thank you for what you're doing in me. I believe your great love. Thanks, Father. See, that's, I just want to train you and help teach you to keep in relationship. And God, I take heart and I rejoice in you. Thank you for what you're doing in my body. Amen? Amen. Amen.